Hello and welcome to this, the, what are we, will be the fifth episode? Episode five, yeah. Episode five? Right. Episode five of the weekly watch list, a pop culture podcast, brought to you as always by the good people at MGA Traffic. I forgot to plug them recently, but it's okay. Love cause, them. Because they're not really paying us anything. Um, how have you been, William? <laughs> I've been good, um, just awaiting stage four, but nonetheless having fun. That's one of the great scurrilous rumours of our times. I, f- I feel like I feel like it's just one of those classic things that these rumours don't come from nowhere, so where do they come from? Are they there to, like, scare us into, oh, no, yeah. oh, we better, it's the classic, you know, mum, mum and dad, you know, if you don't do this, this is mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Um, so you wonder, is it just that or is it just someone having a bit of fun? You can start any Who rumor. Knows? We could start Who a knows? rumor right now. We could. And then you um, sit there and go, the right person hears and it comes out and you don't know where it's come from, but it takes shape, it takes stride, and then all of a sudden everyone's going, what? Did yeah, you hear? I weird. heard. It's, uh, it's, it, it seems like everyone in the last six months has a friend in the health department. It's incredible. Um, and like someone that I know knows someone who was hired by a PR firm that has been hired by the government to deal with going into a stage four. So it's just this big fucking how many, um How many uh, degrees of separation do you need before you go, just stop talking? I reckon I'm two. Yeah. If it's yeah. you know Definitely. someone directly, so someone yeah. you know has, right from the horse's mouth, has told you something and then you're telling me, I'm like, okay. But one more than that. <laughs> If it's one more than that, I'm, I'm going, we're done. I'm not listening to anything you have to say. Um, well, this is Will Peters, of course. He's my off-sider joining me. I'm Sean Peterbudge. And oh. the, the concept of this podcast is really rather simple. Um, we keep a diary of, of what we watch throughout the course of the week and then come together to discuss our four high or low lights, as the case may be. Um, inspired by Steven Soderbergh, the famed director in his year-end list, which he compiles throughout the course of the year and then presents come year's end. Um if nothing else, it's sort of just an interesting jaunt through. Usually there'll be a theme, something has inspired you to watch something and then you've gone yep. down the rabbit hole and then we, uh, we, we just have a bit of a, a chat. We just shoot the shit. Gas bag. That is exactly what we do. Uh, you can find Will at Willie P, two W's, two I's, two L's, two P's, no, two I's. <laughs> W-I, two L's, two I's, two P's, two E's. It's all on our Twitter. Go follow uh, and I am Sean Peter Budge, all one word. Um, we're thrilled to have you here. So we each do four a week. Uh, Will, you've got the new ball this week. I had it last week. So you can kick us off with number one. Is it a highlight? Is it a low light? Will you make us wait to determine? I'm, I'm going to offer you a counter offer. That's the thing. <laughs> um, uh, so I have actually only got three because oh, I have anything this week. So... A little bit of a spin. I'll let you go first and I'll do the middle three and you can do the four. Okay, so you've turned it on its head. I like it. Well, yes, I'm going to start have. with one that I'd hoped that you would watch, but judging by the lack of email notification, you haven't, and that is <laughs> Palm Springs. <laughs> I'll be honest, I saw the email come through and I had other things on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. So, based on the fact that I got an email saying your files are yet to be downloaded, um, I concluded that Will has not watched Palm Springs. Therefore, the first movie or TV show that we could review together, up in smoke. (laughs) 
Um, I got to say, Will, when I got that email come through, I just went, "What a fucking idiot!" Um, we could always we could always put it on the back burner for next week and review it next week. No, I'm going to review it. Each. I'm going to review it to spite you right now. <laughs> Done. Um, good. So it's a bit of a surprise because you, like me, had obviously come across this one in its advertising and were sort of interested in you know in it. Obviously, Andy Samberg. We're both. Uh, SNL fans, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and, and generally keep an eye yeah. on what he and the Lonely Island guys do. I'm not a huge yeah. fan of necessarily everything that they do, um, but when they get it right, they get it right. Hot, uh, Hot uh, Rod was on the other night. I did find myself watching bits and pieces. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Palm Springs is really hard to praise because whilst it's an amazing concept, and it is, it's a brilliant concept, Yeah, it's not original. At all. Right. So you sit there and you watch it, and I'm sitting there and I'm going, this is a fun film. Yeah. But in the back of my head, I've got this review that I'd just seen the, the headline for. I don't tend to – if I know I'm going to watch a movie, like, pretty soon on release, I don't tend to read <laughs> reviews because yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't want to be coloured one way or the other. So uh-huh. I thought – I saw the headline yeah. for the review that, like, praised yeah. it as one of the year's best movies. And I was like, oh, uh-huh. that's, that's good praise. I mean – Fair's fair, Will. There aren't a lot of movies coming out just at the moment, you might have noticed. So it's a no, it's a pretty no, thin uh, field. However, exactly. it's very much in the spirit of, obviously, Groundhog Day, to a lesser extent, uh, like a 51st Dates, even yeah. stuff like Run, Lola, Run, I've done the time loop concept. Edge of Tomorrow did the time loop concept. Yeah. So when I see, oh, it's one of the year's best movies, I actually don't think it can be one of the year's best movies because whilst the concept is brilliant, I've seen it before. And very, very, very quickly, you find yourself watching it going, I'm not hating this movie. I'm actually I'm actually quite enjoying this movie. But right. I've seen this movie. It's Groundhog Day. Ah, uh, yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah, which is good, but, yeah. Andy, Andy, Andy. You really, really just... It's, you, know what I thought, you know what I felt like? Have you ever seen... Have you seen the... Um, Todd Phillips directed it, uh, Due Date, starred Robert Downey Jr. and Zach Galifianakis. Watched the first half of it and I got busy doing something. I just never got around to it. Don't go back to it. Don't go back to it. Um, (laughs) Because the same thing there, I remember seeing that in the cinema. I reckon it came out like 2010-ish. And I remember thinking, this is just Planes, Trains and Automobiles. This is a John Hughes film, funnily enough. I thought, this is is fucking Planes, Trains and Automobiles. (laughs) And just like unashamedly going, this is a remake of a better movie and they're trying to pass it off. And Palm Springs, it made me think, have filmmakers, and maybe maybe they've gone through these sort of periods in, in the past as well, have mm-hmm. the current gen of filmmakers reached the point where it's not homage as much, It's not they're not ripping something off. Because no. the vast majority of people watch it and they go, yeah, it's Groundhog Day. I mean, we've seen this concept before. Is it, he wakes up yeah. the same day. They can't get out of the same day. And TV, uh-huh. plenty of TV shows have done it. But do they do it? Do they do it because, I don't know, is it – what do I try there's to There's nothing say? left to do? Well, it's not that there's nothing left to do, but their audience have likely – or are likely of the age of the generation where they haven't seen Groundhog Day. Yeah, but, you know, cultured people like us, we have gone back and watched everything that's old. So I thought, if you love Andy Samberg and the Lonely Island, 
and you're mm-hmm. 20 years old, for yeah. instance. If you love Brooklyn Nine-Nine and you... I'd, I'd say 20 years old is too small, too small, too young maybe. for Lonely Island and that crew. I but reckon... like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you might watch it and you might yeah. really like Andy Samberg. Yeah, and yeah. Oh, he's got a new movie. Yeah, cool. I'll check it out. And you watch Palm Springs. You, you might not have seen Groundhog Day. Yeah, Therefore, you, you watch it yeah. and go, fucking wow. This movie yeah. is amazing. But I'm sitting there going, yeah, like I'm enjoying this film. It's, it's, it's quite okay. But I saw this movie and mm-hmm. I've seen this movie many times before. Look, when it hits its sweet spot and it gets to the whole like, oh, they're falling in love, like montage as they keep reliving yep. this day. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they, they the, the idea is that they're at a wedding. They're at um, uh, her sister's wedding. Yeah. So obviously as the plot sort of unfolds, they do funny stuff like they learn a dance routine and they go to this redneck hick bar and they just walk into the bar and do this crazy dance routine for their own amusement. They stage like a bomb threat at the wedding <laughs> for their own amusement. They do silly things like to just amuse themselves. And the yeah. idea, like in Groundhog Day when you're watching him like play the piano or carve an ice sculpture or he's robbing the bank, yeah. you're meant to be like, oh, how long did it take them to figure that out? Like how long yeah. have they been there? They did they do that routine for a week? Did they dance that figure it out for that's all they did for two weeks, that's all they did for mm-hmm. whatever. And yeah. their chemistry, Andy Sandberg and Kristen um Malotti, who mm-hmm. most people would know as the mother from How I Met Your Mother, before she was rudely kicked to the curb for Robin Shabatsky. Yeah. In one of the uh-huh. least satisfying twists in television history. <laughs> um and very much like in How I Met Your Mother, she's really fun. She's really likable. They've got a great chemistry. Um, And all that peripheral stuff sort of works. But I'm just like, fucking Groundhog Day. Just ripped off another movie and you're trying to, you're like not even winking at the camera like, yeah, this is Groundhog Day. (laughs) You're like, you're just trying to pass it off. And you know what the beauty of, well, this is turning into a review of Groundhog Day. The beauty of Groundhog Day was that like, there was this cool sort of, the idea was that it was some kind of payback for Phil Connors, like not being a nice person. The idea was he yep. had to learn. The lesson was he had to learn how to be a better person and then uh-huh. he would be freed from, without expressly saying, if he stopped being self selfish and he, and he learned to embrace others and whatnot, he would be freed. And you had this whole thing where for him, he got to the point where no matter what he did, the old bum in the street died. Yeah. So he, he clearly got wrapped up in the morality of no matter what I do, I keep living this day. The kid still falls out of a tree, the kid that mm. he saves. Yep, yep. The old man always dies. And there's this sort of coming to grips with a very real concept, which is quite sort of powerful. Um, whereas I don't know if this film exactly had that kind of through line. Um, I guess if it had... It was. I guess if it was too similar, then it, like everyone would be like, "Fucking Groundhog Day," but maybe they're trying to put their own little like on it. Yeah, and and, and two like the, the film only runs. It's a toit ninety minutes. Will with yeah, credits or with credits. So toit ninety minutes. Twenty, like eighty four maybe. An hour twenty four. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and that's the other thing I sort of thought about watching the film. It's funny that like a while ago, film runtimes really ballooned. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like they, the medium, it really ballooned. And you would go, to the, you would go into the film going, 
you know, you look at it, they, they took it off the ticket. Remember they used to have the runtime on the movie ticket? Yeah. And you'd be, then they took it off because people were looking at it going, 246? <laughs> fuck. What the fuck? Shit. Oh, I better have to go to the toilet. Um, but this, like it seems like as, as like prestige TV is, has sort of gone to a new level with, you know, HBOs and your Netflix and yeah. as that prestige uh-huh. TV is really ramped up and those go for like 45 minutes to an hour, it feels like yeah. cinema runtimes are kind of contracting a little bit and particularly like this, I think this is a a Hulu film because it's a streaming service movie. It's almost like yeah. they're going, our audience doesn't have two hours in them. Keep it sharp, no, keep it tight, no yeah. trim the fat. They're watching a fucking, watching it on a TV. So, they might not even be watching it. It's on in the background it's on, while they're on yeah, Instagram. Exactly right. They need to, like you said, tweet. They need to be able to know exactly what's happening. Bold in the beautiful style, even if they haven't looked at the screen for fifteen <laughs> minutes. Um, so it's interesting. That's what I noticed too. A lot of these films are really condensing in runtime, which is good because a show like this shouldn't go for two hours. It goes for ninety minutes, and it's easily consumable, no and it's over. And then yep. the last thing I want to notice or touch on something else I noticed from this is the Red Letter Media guys did a really funny sort of video deconstruction of Adam Sandler's recent films. And if you notice a lot of his recent movies, not so much his Netflix ones, but a lot of his recent films, they're like vacation movies. Right. So like he's always, he's on a cruise ship or he's on safari or, you know, he's at a resort. It's like like he'll only wear a Hawaiian shirt for his role. He's like nothing else. I'm not wearing anything else. This is shot in summer (laughs) on a, on a palm resort. You know, somewhere where the yeah. weather's really nice, not a cloud <laughs> in the sky. It's basically made on holiday. Yeah. And he just gets called to the set away from his holiday when he needs to shoot <laughs> his scenes. And this he had a kind a of cigarette on the ground, walks on. Yeah. The and this sort of had a touch of that about it. Like it's at a nice yeah. resort, which it's a very controlled environment. Palm Springs, like a beautiful out in the desert. And you're like, did you just fucking shoot this in like three weeks? Did you just like hires it out for three weeks? Yeah. Nobody comes. Yeah. Did you just hire this Palm Springs resort for three weeks to shoot this movie, and basically (laughs) just lay by the pool when you weren't shooting as a beautiful? Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't not recommend Palm Springs as such. Yeah. Because it it does have its merits. The chemistry between Mm -hmm. the leads is is quite good, and it does have some good moments here and there. And that mortality thread is kind of carried a little bit by J.K. Simmons' character, who I didn't touch on, but it's fine. Like, it's okay, but I was quite yes. taken aback. I See, I didn't mind that Edge of Tomorrow was just Groundhog Day because yes. it was sort of different enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas this kind of bugged me. <laughs> so... You don't want... You don't want the movie... You don't want... You don't want a new... Like, new kind of modern movie to bug you in a way that reminds you of an old one. If it's, if it's like a really nice dedication to it, you get to see here and go, that's great. I love that. That's awesome. But well, you're like, Ugh. You know what needs to be? Like, have you ever seen the original Ocean's Eleven? No. It is I've horrendous. Horrendous. Really? Whereas the remake, like people who saw, I hadn't seen the original, I was only 13 when the, yeah. the remake came out. But like, say like mum and dad, they yeah. were shocked because they were like, this is genuinely good. Yeah. Because the remake why. was, sh- sorry, the original was crap. So <laughs> you can reskin something, but if you make it better. Yeah. But yeah. Mm. So watch it. If you're a fan of Sandberg, 
Um, very, very sort of his sort of style. It's quite okay. It's not yep. excellent. It's all right. Okay. Yeah. IMDb's got it at a 7.6 out of 10. Way too high. It's, it's, I would probably have it in like a 5.8. Oh, boy. Way oh, too high. Way boy. too high. 5.8. Maybe a 6. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I want to round down. Yeah. Give us your number one or your oh, first pick for right. this week, Will. Um, my first pick is an album Ooh. or a, officially an LP, mm-hmm. but an album. Um, I don't even know what LP stands for, but I know it's a music thing. Is it long play? I think so. It's just kind of however many you want and you chuck it on. Because um, well, anyway, an mine, EP an EP was obviously, that's always a shorter release. Yeah, yeah long yeah. playing record, LP is a record which yeah, usually so. has about 25 minutes of musical, musical speech on each side. Okay. Yeah, so this is an uh, album by the rapper Juice World. Um, You're making him again, up. He doesn't exist. <laughs> again, I knew you wouldn't have any idea who he is. But you set up a GeoCities he... page for him. <laughs> no, so Juice World, the world spelt without the O. Um, and this is a posthumous. Posthumous? Oh, he's Posth- dead. What? Yeah, he is dead. He died <laughs> about nine months ago. But uh, this was this is released uh, during the week, or basically when, probably when, when we recorded last week's podcast. Um, and I've never I only got into his music probably nine to twelve months ago. Um, but he's like a he basically fits into the genre of emo rap. Ooh. So we both you and me both like um, Blink One Eight Two. Well, those kind of William, yeah. you say you like Blink One Eight Two. <laughs> I am an enormous Blink-182 fan. Okay, so... Here's the Angels link. and Airwaves, so Boxcar Racer, Plus 44, yeah. The Transplant. I, I would explain... Simple Creatures, William. Do we even know who they are? <laughs> no. <laughs> I I would explain this... Uh, his style of music in this album as basically a dedication to, like, Adam's song. Oh, wow. So it's that, like, slow... Super, you're not expecting it. And it is honestly 55 minutes of some of the best music I've heard in the last five to 10 years. Wow. Um, knowing, so he, he unfortunately died from an overdose of a, ha- a cocktail of drugs. Um, it was noted that he was a, uh, a, bit, a bit of an addict in his time, but he basically raps about all the struggles he's going through. And you can hear, I don't know what it was for you in your life with music, but you can hear like someone really hurting in their voice and you can hear, I don't know, sometimes it just hits you. Like songs, they make you think and just like if you're by yourself, you stand there, you're thinking about it, you're like, shit, this actually means something. We spoke about that a little bit last week. I totally understand where you're coming from, not in terms of the the sense of pain perhaps, but the... Uh, was it, I don't think it might have been the week before when I was talking about that Killers yeah. track and it was yeah, that yeah. her mum was a dancer, that's all that she knew because when you live in the desert, it's what pretty girls do. And I remember thinking, I just I, I think about that maybe once a day, <laughs> like really briefly yeah. or whatever, and it just pops into my head and I just go, fucking wow. Yeah. And like there's just, he was so, for the current generation of like, I don't know, 15 to 25, he was basically 
he was, that's a very loud car outside, uh, <laughs> outside your house. Yeah, the NASCARs have um, come to town. <laughs> um, the, he was basically, to, yeah, to the 15s to 25s of kind of this generation, um, he was what kind of Biggie and Tupac were to East and West in America. He's like, he's huge in America. And he, he was only really big for four years, but he was heavily influential in uh, a lot of the kind of new hip hop and rap. Um, How old was he? He was 21 when he died. Shit. Born in 98. Yeah. So he kind of, he kind of blew up on SoundCloud um, and then came and then joined this little kind of internet crew um, and then made a song called Lucid Dreams, which has got, um, fucking absolutely squillions of streams. I'll find it right now. Uh, one one million two hundred eighty-seven. No, one billion two hundred eighty-seven million streams. A lot of streams. Um, yeah, and it's just honestly, it's if you if you're into hip hop, if you're into rap, and you're not into like shitty current hip hop, like Six Nine, we were talking about the other the other week. You pumped him up um, the other week. Now he's shit. I, I didn't. I didn't pump him up. I said he was all right to listen to. But this is honestly, if and if you like a kind of, if you're into emo-y music and you like some rap, this is it. It honestly, it had me. I listened to it. I was working out at the back at Puma uh, in Keys Road, Moorabbin, uh, and was Fresh just processing stock. Yeah, I was just pro- processing stock, and I had literally two hours to kill. Chucked it on. And after an hour, so yeah, 55 minutes worth of the album, I was like, holy shit, I'm in my feels. This is like, it just, so many songs hit me. And I haven't experienced a lot of pain in my life, but you can hear his pain and it's insane. Um, and like there's an interlude on there that goes through about, or a dedication track basically. Um, there's all these interviews that uh, big industry leaders kind of pump him up and Eminem, Lil Dicky, um, Adam 22, who's on YouTube. He, they're all basically saying he was like a once in a lifetime talent that was just crazy, like crazy talented and was, had the world in front of him. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the album kind of, you can hear how he's not ready to be so famous and he just wants to kill, still like build. Um, but yeah, it was honestly. The impression I'm getting, William, is that you're thinking he was taken too soon. Oh, hundred percent. And there's like you know, there's all these little pieces on the internet about how all these rappers get taken early, blah blah blah. But like none of them, in no way, had the impact that he did. It is strange though. Like it does feel as though six nine is that his name? Takashi, yeah. yeah. Old mm-hmm. mate Takashi, shout out. Um, it feels as though. <laughs> Like he's, we're just counting the days until I open oh, up legit. Twitter and trending Takashi yeah. six nine dead. Yeah. Um, there's this whole thing like the wrestling industry where like a lot of wrestlers die young, and by young mm. like like forties, fifties, some some younger. Sam Neil age. Sam Neil age. <laughs> just a joke for last week. I looked it up when when Will said that young Sam Neil. He was forty six in Jurassic <laughs> Park. <laughs> young Sam Neil. 46-year-old middle-aged Sam Neill. Um, <laughs> all these wrestlers, like, die. No one's – everyone's – people are sad, but they aren't shocked anymore when a wrestler dies young because it's like – that just seems to be the way it happens. 
and and people yeah. are conditioned. It seems like rappers, people go, "Oh, wrestlers, oh, he died. He was only forty-one, or or he was only he wasn't even 50. Whereas rappers don't even make thirty. It's like Logan's yeah, run. It's like it's like we're living back in the thirties, and the life expectancy is like fifty. And if people make it to thirty, Mate, it's like, like we're oh, living back shit. in the prehistoric like BC Lucky. days. It's like we're sixty million BC <laughs> that they're eating raw red meat. They're dead at twenty-eight. Like Fred Flintstone. Fred Flintstone's life expectancy, dead set, would have been like 36. Fred got to 36. Um, he was doing well. So, yeah, Juice World legends never die. And he's got, he's, fun fact, he's got this little, uh, I guess, protege um, mm. that he found on, on SoundCloud from Sydney, actually, the kid Leroy. Um, and he is... Spitting image, same kind of sound, same talent. Doesn't need doesn't need a whole lot of kind of auto tune and whatnot, which is very prevalent in the music industry these days. Um, but he's popping off as well. He's just started getting played on Triple J over here, which means he'll blow up in probably a year or so over here. Is it um, a case of? Do you think uh, this is potentially a silly, obvious statement? But technology nowadays, like we're recording a podcast because we can. Yeah. So if you want to start a music career, you can kind of teach yourself how to do it and then you can self-publish. You just sort of need the right person to sort of find you kind of thing. But I mean, look at, look at Justin Bieber. He did YouTube covers, Scooter Braun found him and now he's the fucking biggest thing in the world. Isn't Scooter Scooter Braun like an asshole? Yeah, meant to be. That's the, that's the rumor. Um, he seems yeah. pretty, pretty ant- like antsy for a guy who's got rich off everyone else's ability. <laughs> I guess he's very picky now. He's, there's so many people that want to get signed by him, but he, they won't. They won't sign them. Wasn't there something like relatively recently where he was being a dipshit about Taylor Swift or Taylor Swift's catalog or something? He wasn't going to let her. There was something at the Billboard Awards or whatever where she got like Artist of the Decade, and she was going to go right. on stage and do like a medley of her hits. Uh-huh. to celebrate being named Artist of the Decade. And you went, oh, yeah, that'd be, her fans will love it. It'd be great. Yeah. But she's not allowed to, something, she's not allowed to re-record her old songs because she doesn't own them. He owns them. I remember hearing about and that. And she yeah. doesn't, she will own them eventually. Yeah. They revert. She's still stuck in like a weird contract. Yeah, they revert back to her eventually. Yeah. And his attitude was, I don't want you doing new versions of them. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, because I own the music. It's like it happens more often than people realize. Where you might not perform a song that you wrote. She wrote those songs, but he published them. He owns them. Yeah. And it's that awful situation of you know authorship and ownership. And yeah. Funny story, actually. So after last week, we had the uh, blue documentary with Vice. I watched it. Yeah, very good. Um, Would you like to tell the listeners where you watched it? Whilst having a shit. (laughs) Um, So I talked about how there was a a sandstorm one as well, Darude. Did you watch that one? I didn't watch that. I've been on the can for 27 minutes. So So, um, I didn't want people asking questions. There's an ownership story in that where he was signed in America. And I think he's from Norway, Sweden, Norway, one of them. Um, and he was signed in America. So in America, he was blowing up. And then he was coming back to Europe and being in the clubs. Everyone's like, who's this guy? And he couldn't play his music over here for like a year or two. 
when he was fucking huge in America because America, an American company owned the rights. Mm. But yeah, well, yeah, I mean, they must have owned his his publishing rights. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, a lot of yeah. those up-and-coming artists have to sign away and sometimes mm-hmm. they have to be clever with how they kind of get around that. They probably don't realise what they're doing at the time, nah. but it's it's not good. Take the deal and run. Totally. So, yeah. Juice yeah. World, so rest in peace. Big, Juice World, rest in peace. Uh, legends never die. Well, it's a bit misleading, isn't it? The title, as, as the title goes, it's a bit misleading. Yeah, well, yeah, well. Because he's dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, 55 minutes of honestly some of the best music that I've heard in the last couple of years. That's a big, big call, but it's I'll, a... I'll make it. <laughs> I won't back down from it. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> I've said it, and now I'm going to live with it, and it's there. It's going to be published. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be up forever and a day now. Well, uh-huh. that's your number one. Uh, my number two will will flow on, um, I suppose, from one album to another. Uh, I wasn't going to go with this one first, but I thought we'll back the two albums onto one another. I'm, I've been very much, and as you could probably well imagine, given what I watched last week, um, I've been in a real, uh, like, John Hughes, like, 80s kind of mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and that culminated in, in watching, you know, quite a few of his movies, some, some for the first time in a very, very long time, some for the first time, like, in one sitting. Um, but the album that I was immediately drawn to uh, and to listen to in full was uh, New Order's second studio album from 1983 called Power, Corruption and Lies. Um, what was that face for, Will? That was an extraordinarily dismissive face. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> You're an idiot. I so, probably... so New Order, basically in 1981, they released Movement, which was their debut album after the, the Reformation as New Order from Joy Division. Obviously, Ian Curtis died, so they reformed as New Order. Um, and Movement was a really good album. Power, Corruption and Lies. 42-odd minutes, 42 and a half minutes, it says here. Like, just, I don't even know, like, transcendental. It is the most magnificent. They come out, they do Movement, and it's a really good album. And then people are like, oh, that's good. Yeah, okay, so they're going to kick on, obviously, Ian Curtis, the lead singer, cetera, lyricist, he dies, and geez, everyone thought, well, that's that's a real kick in the teeth for them. What happens next? They come out, yeah. they do movement. It's a good album. They go, okay, that's good. They'll, you know, they've they'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Power, corruption, and lies is a masterpiece. It's an yes. absolute masterpiece. Like I said, nineteen eighty three, their second album. Uh, released the same year they did Blue Monday as just a single. Blue Monday's technically not on. Power, Corruption and Lies, on some reissues okay. it is. Yep. Eight tracks. Um, this is them mastering a sound. This is them, like, absolutely nailing what is their identity. Mm. And it's so interesting to listen to it now, like, 20... Sorry, 37 years later. And you're like... <laughs> you could imagine 1983, there was a really beautiful comment someone left on on one of the song's YouTube pages... I was looking for a particular version of a song um, that was right. I found out was a remix or like a and you ought to do this cool thing on that. They do this cool thing where they they kind of remix their stuff a little bit. So they'll release a yeah. song, but then they'll always keep kind of working on it and just here's a different version or a slightly a variant or whatever. They yes, don't erase cool. they don't erase the first version, no. but they're happy to play no. with 
they, for their own. Yeah, they keep, they keep their drafts and then re-release them as yeah. little. But they, even so, like they'll do a live version. It'll be slightly different, or they'll change yeah. something up. And it's it's cool that they do that. So I was trying to find that track, and there was this really beautiful comment where this guy wrote. He said he was, I think he said he was seventeen. The album was released, and he picked it up. He was living in like Reading or something, and he went down yeah. to the the local record store. And he goes, I still vividly. He'd written the comment like, like a year ago or something, and he goes, I still remember the bus ride home holding the record, and you know you think about it, much simpler time back then. You literally had to take it home, go to the record player. Cue yeah. it up, etc. You don't just go, oh, there's a new album on iTunes. I'll just listen to it immediately. Mm-hmm. And, and he just said, he goes, oh, because I just remember, vividly remember it, taking it home, putting it on the record player, putting the needle down. And if, you, if you're familiar with it, the song, the first song on Power, Corruption and Lies is Age of Consent, which has right. one of the most iconic, brilliant, knock your socks off bass lines, Peter Hook, one of the greatest bass players of all time and arguably the most instrumental person in their sound. That's the first thing you hear of this album. And he just goes, I was blown away. And then the album progresses and you've got, my thing is it's got eight songs. And my thing is no matter how many songs are on an album, whether you love the band or don't, I have a bit of a rule. If you get four songs off an album that you really like to love, it's good. Well, that's like me with Juice. I downloaded, I think, seven from this new album. I yeah. Like, oh. So if you get how oh many boy. songs, are, how many songs are on that album? Twenty-one. That's a lot. That is too many. Yeah. <laughs> that's too many songs. <laughs> Sorry, but, no. Official songs, uh, eighteen. Okay. Well, that's too many. That's still too many. So <laughs> this has eight songs on it, and four of them, um, uh, "Age of Consent" is unbelievable. Um, yeah. The village is fantastic. 586 is magnificent. Probably the standout track is called Your Silent Face. And it's this unbelievable O'Day to Kraftwerk, who obviously very um, influential German electronic band. And Kraftwerk had this album um, called Trans Europe Express, which was like just like this beautiful modern electronic music but being german it had this like german precision and this german like efficiency and beauty to it It was like the german masters the old composers and trans europe express has this absolutely beautiful sort of texture to it and your silent face is almost the best song of trans europe express you could feel that new water listened to it loved it and said we want to do something like this yeah. And they did, and they took that style. It's fucking beautiful. Such a beautiful song. And look, I just love this album. Having listened to it all the way through twice um, in my day-to-day the last week, um, it's just one of those things where you just get floored by just how great it is. And for a guy, yeah. for a band that were kind of finding their feet so incredibly informative into A, why they became so popular, why they stayed so popular, how it informed mm-hmm. their sound. Um, and like I said, you get... You get four songs. If I get four songs off an album, whether it be The Killers or yeah, Blink-182 or any other band that I like, if I get four songs off the album that I'm really happy with, I'll just go, that's a winner. And for me, this is such a winner. It's actually a funny story. The other reason I got pulled into it was because um, it was an article I'd missed a couple of weeks ago, obviously with the, the soccer season sort of bleeding now into summer over there, which it doesn't usually does. It's usually wrapped up six weeks ago um, uh-huh. or more. There was an article released a couple of weeks ago about how 
Manchester United are rumoured to next year be wearing a shirt that is an homage to Peter Saville's sort of iconic cover for the Joy Division album Unknown Pleasures. Mm-hmm. Even if you haven't ever seen the album, oh, sorry, like picked up the album or don't know it or haven't listened to it, you've probably seen the album cover. It's this really iconic, yeah. like the waveforms. Um, so it's rumoured that obviously Joy Division New Order from Manchester. This past season, Manchester City wore a shirt that paid tribute to the Hacienda nightclub, which New Order owned and the, the record label Factory owned. And the rumour is that this new United kit will pay tribute to the Unknown Pleasures album cover, yeah. which I just fucking love. That's cool. It's And you know what the funny thing was? Like they released this story, oh, this is the leaked image, it's going to be, this is the kit. And it's a really subtle tribute. Like if anything, to be honest, it's probably far enough away that they can say it's not. Yes. But for people who want to believe it is, you're like, yeah, it totally is, um, just for copyright and whatnot. But mm-hmm. there are all these people being like, oh, it's terrible, look shit out, so it's disgusting, blah, blah. And you just, I just wonder, having been to Manchester, you know, having been to Old Trafford a bunch of times, understanding the connection the city has with music and particularly its bands, having, yeah. for me... Um, like I just sort of, I kind of laughed because I went, oh, it's just perfect because the very first Manchester United game I ever went to, uh, walked in, walked up the through the concourse, up the steps, and the very first time I saw Old Trafford uh, Disorder, which is on Unknown Pleasures, was playing. Because mm. they play on their game day playlist, they play a lot of local bands and classic Manchester bands and they really lean into their connection with the music scene that was just as influential in Manchester's identity as anything. So I just thought it was quite funny. And that's kind of what drew me back into listening to some different New Order things. And I thought, yeah, geez, Power Corruption Lies. I was like, that's got a lot of tracks on it I really like. And I don't reckon I've ever listened to it all the way through. Mm. So I went, yeah, we'll listen to it all the way through. And it's a fucking masterpiece. So that's one thing I found myself doing a lot in the last couple of years is listening to albums all like start to finish, no shuffle, no disruptions. Good albums tell a story. Yeah, exactly. I want to take it in. And particularly back in these days, like the other, this, and I saw another comment on the YouTube video for, I think it was Your Silent Face. So Your Silent Face was the first track on side, on the B side, on side two of the record. So obviously four tracks on the first side, you flip it over to listen to the second side of the album. And Your Silent Face, like you think about Age of Consent kicks off side, and there used to be like a science to where you put the tracks. Mm. That's why, like, a track list matters, whereas now it kind of sort of doesn't really matter because you, you, know, you shuffle through them or you listen to a bit and then you skip. And Whereas back in the old days, like, yeah, you put the needle down, you listen to it, you listen to it all the way through. And yeah. Age of Consent is absolutely, like, magnificent, iconic, kicks off the first side of the album, then you flip it over, and the second best song, arguably, either or, is, one of them's the best, the other's the second best, kicks off side two. And there was its science to sort of starting strong. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I can imagine you sort of going, oh, that was good, yeah, that was a good start. Hey, yeah, side A was pretty good. And you flip it over and you're like, this is fucking unbelievable. <laughs> Take it away. You're like, oh, my God. So yeah. uh, Power Corruption Lies, absolute masterpiece. Um, if you are familiar with New Order's stuff, um, they've got a lot of great stuff on that album. If you aren't, definitely give it a listen because um, it's well worth revisiting one of the greatest tracks, sort of new wave electronic synth stuff ever made. Yep. Lovely. Excellent. Give us your number two. Um, my number two is a little movie that I'm sh- I would put a thousand dollars on that, that you've watched. 
Um, I think I know that you have. Anyway, um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, just watching little, uh, watching little bits and pieces on Amazon Prime with uh, with Maddie sometimes, and she hadn't seen this. Um, I saw this without her a couple or whenever it came out two years ago. Um, and I watching it back the second time, I loved it even more. Um, just the animation is just so cool that they use for this, and the cast it's cast really well. Shamik Moore, the guy who plays. Miles Morales, I think, is a perfect, uh, perfect voice for it. You wouldn't look, just looking at him before IMDb. You wouldn't want him to say play him. I think he's a bit too manly. Um, but perfect, perfect voice. Jake Johnson as Peter Parker is perfect. hilarious. Um, and without a doubt, my favorite, uh, my favorite Spider-Man is Spider-Man Noir. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> by Nicolas Cage. Oh, just, you know, some, some of his lines are fucking unbelievable. Jake Johnson's... There's actually... There's, there's so many fun, like, jokes in, in in the film and in the idea of the film, like, visually yeah. and otherwise, like, when... Wow. <laughs> I, I reckon Peter B. Park is probably my favourite one. I think Jake Johnson's is just yeah. magnificent. I, I loved when he's um when he's explaining how he was sucked into the that dimension, when he goes... um. It's like him crying in the bathtub and eating pizza on the bed. He's real fat. And he goes, yeah. what do you say? He goes, I was just doing ab crunch. Just getting strong. But he's, he's actually. <laughs> and he's like, but he's pushing out his belly. <laughs> yeah. And he's like crying in the shower and stuff. <laughs> and then and then yeah. the other one, where he's always wearing the track pants. Yeah. And, then, and he, he turns up to the. Oh, when they go to Oscorp or whatever. I think it's Oscorp. They go yeah. into that lab. And he's like. He's. He's like, Miles Morales says something like, do you know what we're looking for? He goes, no, but when I see it, I will. <laughs> He's like looking for the files on the computer. And he goes, and when they're trying to steal the computer and Miles picks up the screen, he goes, we don't need that. Goes, like, but when they animated it, um, a cool thing is they animated, I'm not sure the exact frame rate, but Peter B. Parker was animated at twice the frame rate of Miles. Wow. To make Miles look jilted and like a bit stilted, like stop start. So the idea okay. is if you watch the animation, oh, you'll, yes, you'll notice that, that, that Spider Peter B. Parker is really smooth. Yeah. And Miles yeah. is jittery. Yeah. Like, oh, there you go. But it's, no, I agree. It's fucking brilliant. It's, it's an yeah. unbelievable um, movie. Like I found this line here. It's like uh, to Miles after he lost Uncle Aaron. We've all been there. For me, it was my Uncle Ben. And then Spider-Man Noir comes in. For me, it was my Uncle Benjamin. <laughs> it fucking gets me every time. <laughs> I just, just the whole thing. Uh, like, And the, you know what the frustrating thing is? It feels like Sony have been like latching onto Spider-Man for so long. Yeah. And not really knowing what to do with it. And then they decide to give Spider-Man, loan Spider-Man to Marvel and then they yeah. knock it out of the park. And yeah. then this confluence of really annoying events, they end up getting this unbelievable Phil Lord and Phil Lord and Chris Miller? Or is it Chris Miller and Phil Lord? I always get their uh, names mixed up. They obviously wrote, they did the, the Jump Street movies and they come on board yeah. and, and do this and just kill it. Kill it. Yeah. Oh, it's so I, brilliant. Yeah, I just, I really really enjoy it and then even when like you know like in any sort of like teeny movie they 
they're all down in the dumps and then they find themselves, they come back and like when he's, when he finds himself and he's spray painted his own suit, I'm just like, fuck yeah. Like, oh, get it. Um, yeah. I love that. Maddie loved it. Great. It's, it's that style where the style was sort of so good because it hadn't really been seen before. We've seen plenty no. of animated movies, but yeah. there's something to be done so brilliantly. Um, and just like the little, like, um, when, like, he'll, like, uh, go, you like, shoot web and you just see, see little words saying, flip, flip, flip. Yeah. And, like, just when they hit someone or when they jump off something. Art I design, man. Art design so important. You know what's funny? So like, good. obviously on the success of this... Um, they've got the Miles Morales video game that'll launch with the yeah. PS5. Um, yeah. And they're trying to I'll have to look it up what they decided to call it. But um, they obviously had the success of Venom, which mm-hmm. inexplicable because it was shit. Um, it just wasn't very good, but it like did, did really good money. <laughs> um, oh, what is it called? I'm trying to figure out. Oh, what do they call it? It doesn't make any sense. Where is it? So basically, they've they've tried to spin off and they're they're trying to create their own kind of Spider-Man universe. Yeah. Marvel movie. So okay, so Sony decided they're calling it the Sony Pictures Universe of Marvel characters, and that's what they'll tie in. They've got a film called Morbius coming out, which is like a vampire film, which has um, Jared Leto. Venom falls into that. Spider Verse films maybe, but one of the coolest concepts that came out of this is clearly they want Tom Holland's Spider-Man. But Marvel are like, "Uh, but we don't want anything to do with your hodgepodge bullshit (laughs) spin-offs because for the most part they're shit and we don't don't want Venom, we don't want Morbius, we just want Spider-Man, that's it. That's all the only character. <laughs> like clearly Sony are like, but we really want Spider-Man because like he's Spider-Man. So exactly. we want to make our Spider-Man movies with Spider-Man in there. Yeah. Um, so have, have all these freebies. We don't want the freebie. Take the freebie. We don't from. want the other characters. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sneezing. But anyway, one of, the, one of the coolest ideas that I've seen come out recently is that mm-hmm. Sam Raimi is directing – the Doctor Strange movie, yeah, the Multiverse of Madness. I'm sneezing mm-hmm. again. Why is this happening? Um, Rona, Rona. <laughs> oh, it's a sneeze, not a cough. <laughs> I don't know. I'm got like a sudden onset of hay fever. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus what is happening? Um, but one of the 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 idea behind it, apparently, one of the rumors is that Sam Raimi's directing the Doctor Strange movie, the Multiverse of Madness, the Doctor Strange and um, Scarlet Witch. Which, yeah, not Johansson. I was thinking of going Scarlet. <laughs> Her, um, their TV series, WandaVision, will tie into it. But one of the yeah. rumours is that you may remember, William, that Sam Raimi directed a trilogy of films called Spider-Man. And one of the yeah. rumours is that they will go to a multiverse and they will interact with Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. I saw a rumour about all three, like with Garfield's as well. And but then- the idea is that is potentially, if you want to get like how they realise it, I don't know. But if you want to get all who framed Roger Rabbit, they could have like a lot of them. Yeah. They could have the Miles Morales... They could have Tobey Maguire. They could have Andrew. I don't think Garfield would necessarily be keen. I don't think he'd be necessarily against it as such. No. And then Tom Holland as well. 
Yeah. And then the idea is that Tom Holland like was cast. Someone was cast as Miles. It was a child, uh, childish Gambino, whatever his full name is. Well, forgot. He was he was the artist and inspiration for an original sketch of when they were doing comics. Someone. It was a bit like so someone was cast as a black dude in one of the Spider-Man movies. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, no, no. He um, um, yeah. Childish, Donald Glover. Donald Glover yeah. played his yeah the Prowler. Yeah. He played the uncle yeah. who in Spider Verse is the Prowler. Yes. Yes, of um, just as a bit of a tip of the hat. Yes. But um, it's obviously going on. For, you might have seen the Michael Keaton potentially being Batman again in like a multiverse. Mate, that'd be fucking amazing. You're showing your age because <laughs> Michael Keats and Keats, if Keats turns up as Batman again, there's going to be multi-generations of people losing their fucking minds. <laughs> Keats. Because <laughs> um, he is Batman. Like he was... Brilliant, mate. He had the eyes. He had the eyes. <laughs> watch, watch the original '89 Batman, and tell me there is a better scene in a Batman movie that illustrates his like mental state. Well, all these Batman movies try to like <laughs> make an excuse for Bruce Wayne. The scene yeah. in the first Batman uh-huh. where he and the Joker at Vicky Vale's place, and he does the whole "You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts." There's yeah. this. There's this line in there where he's like, he's talking to the Joker, and the Joker, bear in mind, is a psychopath who's killing people yeah. wearing clown makeup, standing opposite him. And there's a bit where you, even the Joker is looking at this guy, looking at Bruce Wayne, and he's going, you're nuts. And you're like, you're yes. fucking insane. And the Joker doesn't know that he's Batman. It's this brilliant psychology, which all the other films try to like kind of make an excuse for. He's nuts. He dresses up like I, a bat. I think I will watch it. I think I will. He puts on a bat outfit and goes <laughs> out. Like, it's he's crazy. Will. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's obviously that rumour that um, they'll, they'll converge the various Sony Spider-Men mm-hmm. in on each other, which would be potentially, which would be fucking amazing. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take your word. You, you don't see it be incredible. Spider Verse was great, and they're just going to potentially do that live action. But if there's so many rumors these days about you know people coming into movies and people doing this, people doing that. Okay, you're Toby Maguire. Until I see a trailer, until I see a trailer, I'll believe it. You're Toby Maguire. Let's see what's Toby's. What's Tobes been up to? I just typed in. I just typed in Tobes. <laughs> Toby <Tobes>. Maguire. <laughs> First name basis. Tobes. Tobes. Apart from being the basis of um, Michael Sarah's character in Molly's game, complete yeah. asshole. Um, where's his filmography? Filmography. Where is it? Where is it? Oh, Jesus Christ. He's got his own article, filmography. The last thing he did was he was the narrator of The Boss Baby. Yeah, weird. And he's got a couple of things in the can that, like, oh, he's a producer. The last, the last movie he was in, this can't be fucking right. It's like twenty fourteen. Annoying, mate. Tobes, come back, come back to Spider Man. Tobes, come back. Or don't. I don't really give a shit. But it'd be good. Mm. So Spider Verse, thumbs up. 
Yeah, huge thumbs up. Big fan. Love it. Uh, I think if you sit down with the family with it, I reckon they'd like it too. I, I could totally see, like, kids, young kids, if that's their gateway. Oh, please. Mind, mind blown. Yeah. I'm a fan. Mm. That's a good pick. I like it. Love it. Uh, my second, I don't know what I'm up to, third, um, third, is going down the John Hughes rabbit hole, which I did. Um, I'd only ever seen this film once a long time ago. Some kind of wonderful. John Hughes wrote the film. He did not direct this right. movie. And it seemed like a bit of a pattern he would do for a while there. He would effectively write two films a year and he would direct one of them. So, yeah. like, in 85, he wrote and directed both Weird Science and The Breakfast Club. And then in 86, he, he maybe figured, oh, that's it's too much, too much work. So, in 86, he wrote and directed Ferris Bueller. Mm-hmm. And then wrote Pretty in Pink and let, um, what's the guy's name? Howard, uh, Howard Dutch, I think is Deutsch is his name. Pretty in Pink. So Deutsch. he wrote Pretty in Pink and Howard Deutsch directed it. In 87, he wrote and directed Planes, Trains and Automobiles um, mm-hmm. and wrote this. And then Deutsch directed this. And then, like, same thing, 88, he wrote She's Having a Baby, directed that. And The Great Outdoors, someone else directed that. 89, he directed Uncle Buck. Someone else did Christmas Vacation. 91, he directed Curly Sue and someone else directed Career Opportunities. So clearly the option was I'll do two films a year and I'll, I will direct one of them. And because of that, some kind of wonderful is weird. It feels a bit minor, Hughes. Like it's set on the West Coast. It's not, not set in Chicago. It has it like at times it has like a really traditional film score, which is unusual. Usually his films, uh, a lot of the time his films have like a soundtrack. And this does have a soundtrack, but... Very rarely do they have scores. Um, I don't know. It just felt like someone was imitating John Hughes, and I wasn't sure if that was because he didn't direct it. Okay, right. And it felt a bit like it actually felt really similar. Maybe it was because it was the West Coast. Maybe it, it felt really similar to like the film. They flipped it on its head. Maybe because he wasn't there to kind of – he wrote the material, but he wasn't really there to kind of guide it. And mm-hmm. it felt very similar to uh, – like a 10 Things I Hate About You, She's All That, films that came like 10 years later. Yeah. It felt weird. It felt like on delay. Um, interestingly, Eric Stoltz is in it with Leah Thompson. Now, they were in Back to the Future together until Eric Stoltz was fired, uh, mm-hmm. as, as is the well-worn story. Um, so it was sort of funny to see them in the same film. And a real treat for me, Will, sitting down to yeah. watch the film, I'd completely forgotten that this man was in the film, Elias Cotius. Are you familiar with Elias Cotius's work? No, I'm going to have to look him up. I'll see what it Elias Codius William played Casey Jones in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film and therefore has a place in my heart forever. So when I'm sitting there <laughs> watching Some Kind of Wonderful and Elias Codius's name came up in the credits, I was like, fucking score? Elias Codius? <laughs> this is like when I watched Tucker the Man in His Dream again and his name came up in the credits. I went, this film's already good. Elias Codius. Look, that's funny. So he was oh as God, said, yeah. he was Casey Jones and then didn't return for any yeah. of the other films for some reason. Um, maybe he was difficult to work with. But so like I said, it was it was just funny when he turned up and I was like, hey Fucking Ninja Turtles. <laughs> have you seen that? It's great. Yeah. And funny. he's and you know what's funny too, like in this film, he's meant to be a high like classic American shit. He's meant to be a high schooler, yeah. but you're like, mate, you are thirty years old. <laughs> <laughs> you're a you're a man. You who's are a just- 
grown man and uh, the suspension funny. of disbelief is impossible, but I don't care because you're Elias Codius <laughs> and I'm just glad that you're in this movie. Okay. Um, <laughs> probably the main problem this film has is that Eric Stoltz is a creepy weirdo and doesn't really have he's, – he's a fine enough actor, but he doesn't really have, like, the charm of a lot of his other John Hughes's leads, whether they be male or female. Yeah. And Leah Thompson is, like, she just plays a really weird, like, really – she's a bit of a bitch and you're like – I don't really care if your life works out for you because you're an asshole. Um, it's a, it's a really it's a weird movie. It just feels like so minor Hughes. It just feels like like as I said, it just doesn't have his touch all the way through. Therefore, it's not as strong as a lot of the other films that he obviously writes, directs, sees through all the way. Feels like if he's not there to really guide it, it feels like fifty percent like a John Hughes movie. So it kind of it's a weird one. It's a really weird entry in his. Filmography, yeah, yeah, like it's not it's not awful, but you're like something's just not there, something's not right. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the guy who wrote the film. I think he's not on the set. <laughs> um, so yeah, some kind of wonderful. It's a nice short, sharp one for me because whilst it's not necessarily a bad film, it just feels more paint by numbers. Like we we, yeah, it just feels more paint by numbers than a lot of his other stuff, which is to its yeah. detriment. That's fair. Hmm. Mm. So out of a so what even though it's half a half a John Hughes, I'll probably give it five. No, I think it's similar to Palm Springs in the sense that it's better than like a soft pass. Yeah, because it's still it's still a better movie than like the movies that kind of rip it off a bit. Okay, but it's not as good as his other movies. So it's it's probably like it's again it's probably like a six. Okay, tight though, tight that is. In its favour. Toit. It's like a... I think, it's, look up. I think it goes for like 100 minutes or something. Um, mm. Which, you know, if an okay film ends with 135, that's perfect. As in one, one hour, 35. 95 minutes. Perfect. With credits. So Ooh. it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's fine. Yeah. Lovely. Mm. Um, well, my number three and my last, because we're uneven this week, uh, is a Apple TV special. Um, I by that I assume you haven't seen it. Uh, you would want to see it because I personally loved it. Mm. I love anything from this uh, era okay. in in history. Uh, Can I guess what it is? You yeah. watch Greyhound. Yes. Yeah, I watched it as well. Yeah, but it's not one of mine. This um, oh, I I really really enjoyed this. Um, I twice again. I think it only goes ninety again, minutes. Uh, an hour thirty-one. Yeah, perfect. Um, so yeah, I fucking frothed it, and that's got you know a huge. Uh, Tom Hanks is basically the only huge guy, huge person in it. Um, uh, and I yeah, I frothed it. I was, was pleased amazing. to see um, Stephen Graham. Stephen Graham plays like his lieutenant, his second in command. The, yeah, the guy who's down below in the radar room. Yeah. I, I've got a theory. Okay, so basically, the, the the basic premise of the film is that the Greyhound is like a, a sub destroyer that's um, uh, accompanying a convoy of supply ships yeah. across it's the edgy. It's the edgy speedboat out front. Yeah, and it, it basically is there to protect this convoy of of ships um, traveling to Liverpool. I think it's going to um, yes, and protect them against German U boats. 
So yep. the U-boats try to sink the supply ships. You sink a supply ship, you hurt the war effort. Pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Did you feel – I turned to Dad at one point and I said, this is kind of like Jaws. As in you don't know when something's coming? As in, like, you're fighting a threat that you can't see. Oh, 100%. You know the subs are in the water, but we don't really know yeah. where they are, and yeah. they're attacking us, our convoy. And by extension of that, the only the problem I had with the film, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was all right. But the problem I yeah. had with it is, uh, Tom Hanks wrote it, interestingly enough. Um, yeah. I would have loved, loved, if there were three U-boats. So I, th- I just thought There's there were two fucking... many. There were six. And it got to the point where you're kind of like, how many fucking U-boats are there? How many are left? Whereas... If they had a said... That's what makes it so good. There's just so many. And he's still <laughs> But had they... I, I don't know. I just My issue with the film was I think they tried to do too much when right. the stakes for me were really simple. You can't see your enemy uh, until it's too late. Um, you're working with very limited technology to identify them. You've got to protect your convoy of ships. However, yeah. I just thought that if they had a said there's three U-boats and just really basically looked into the camera and gone, there's three U-boats chasing our convoy. And then that way we know <laughs> they knock off one and you go, okay, yeah. there's, there's two left. Mm-hmm. They knock off the other. Oh, there's only one left. The stakes just become real clear. Whereas with this one, I was a bit like, there was six. And no, now one, now two, there's a, three, how, many, how many are left now? Whereas, yeah. with, whereas with Jaws, you always know there's one shark. There's only one shark. Yeah. I can understand that, but I was able to see past it personally. Oh, it was um, fine. Did you find it weird when he was like, uh, (laughs) about 25 minutes in, I was kind of like, all these navigational cues, they they don't mean anything to me. Yeah, but then I think you're like, I think they've done that. 2.6 degrees. It was going, okay. Everyone kind of, I don't know. I feel like I, this is where like, uh, games that I've played that have a north, south, east, west, but with a compass with like twenty six, I'd be like, okay, that's that's just just north. Like you, if you ping if you ping someone at twenty six, it means you know, bang, okay, they're over there at twenty six. I know. Did I you personally feel... understood it. Oh no, I understood it, but it, like just after about twenty five minutes of them just yelling out coordinates, I was <laughs> like, and then it continued for another hour. I was like, okay, we get it. They're circling you. But did you find it like there was a bit of double handling? Or not even double handling. There was like triple handling on the bridge. <laughs> yeah, there's the guy with those big headphones on, and then he yells at someone, and then someone else. Yeah. So and like then, I'm in the I'm in the the radar room. Yeah. And I'm reading the radar, and I'm like you know, reading the frequency for pings to try to figure out you know where the subs are, the U boats. And yeah. I I get it, and I'm like you know twenty six two point six, and then. That doesn't go through a loudspeaker on the bridge. It goes to Will, <laughs> who then just regurgitates what I just told him. And, and was, then if I'm busy picking my ass and concentrating yeah. on something else, then it's like, was it 26 or 27? Shit. Uh, 28, <laughs> I think. But I yeah. missed it. How did I miss it? And there's just a lot of guys standing around. I thought, I was thinking, I said, why doesn't that guy's microphone just go straight to a a speaker <laughs> on the bridge. <laughs> I loved um I loved the captain of the sub of Again, the Grey Wolf. Ab- no. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So crazy 
villain. You're like, oh my god, like the Joker. It's like this guy's an absolute nuck and nutcase. So that was the idea. Was like the the German U-boat fleet, uh, like the commanders. I think were called the Wolfpack. Yeah, and they were nasty, like really mm. nasty individuals. And I totally agree with you. Like this guy was speaking to them, and then so he his voice would come through the speaker, and then Tom Hanks would direct them all because they were just speaking on a frequency. They didn't know if anyone was listening, yeah. but the Germans would would transmit on a frequency. And then Hanks mm-hmm. would go, uh, change to frequency. Switch it off. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just change, tell all ships to change to frequency, whatever. And then the Germans would just hunt through for frequencies. And he could have been, yeah. like I said, he, he didn't know he was talking to anyone. Exactly. Taunting them. But I thought if you had the three, if you established there are three U-boats mm-hmm. and he's the last one and he's been taunting him for the whole film, he's the one they got to get at the end type thing. It's a bit cookie cutter, but by the same token, I just think the film works better if they really establish a clear threat. There's three. Oh, very much so. And and obviously, as we didn't mention off the top, Will, they, was it 30 or 40 hours to air coverage or something? They were out of range of the air support? Uh, I think it was like two and a half days, but yeah. then it, took, it took you through two days, I think. Yeah, so the idea was that the convoy at the start of the film is is um, got air support. Yeah. But obviously you think in nineteen forties odd, once you they can't planes can't fly as long, they don't have the range. So yeah. Yeah. once you get to a certain point of the jo- the the voyage, you are out of range of air support for yeah, yeah. two and a half days. So that that's where the U boats attack you. Yeah. I liked it, I did. But did you reckon I, it was super Dunkirky as well? Um I feel like Dunkirk was a bit more of a Dunkirk was better. Better, better, yes. Um, I feel like Dunkirk was more of like a cinematic thing, though. Oh, totally. I feel like this is very actiony, warry, blah 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 blah. Tight ninety um, minutes. Tight yeah. ninety. They chucked a lot in, but oh, yeah, enjoyed it. Many I, enjoyed it. I just think it was too like in terms of the similarities to Dunkirk, not just because it's a World War Two film, but because of <clears throat> like even a lot of the sound design. And some of the scoring was very. It was that very like ticking clock, which Zimmer and whatnot did in Dunkirk, and it was like effective. It works. I do it. I I didn't mind it. I I agree. It was like a watchable film. Yeah. Did you think it felt like an like an old film as well, as in, as in a little bit, yeah, made with all the mod cons, like made with all the modern mod cons, yeah, as such, but. It felt like a movie that would be made in the fifties or sixties. Yeah, I feel. Yeah, now that you say that, it's, in a way, it felt old, but then it's obviously just so like crystal clear, so it's clearly new. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and that, and in terms of the story being told and like the runtime, it, it it I felt like, yeah, this is a sort of film that put aside, as you said, <clears throat> the cutting edge special effects and the like. Mm-hmm. But this could just as easily be a, a Sunday movie, like like twenty years ago. It's just on Greyhound. Oh, what's this mm. about? And then someone yeah. goes, "You've never seen it." Exactly. At least in nineteen fifty-eight. Nah, big fan. Loved it. Big fan. Yeah. What do you give I it could, out of ten? I could definitely watch it. I'd give it a seven. Okay. It's funny because yeah. as soon as he started talking about the movie, I was like, he's talking about Greyhound. I have watched Greyhound and I wasn't going to talk about it this week. I expected him to talk about Palm Springs. 
<laughs> but he's going to talk about Greyhound. I was like, absolutely fucking typical because we could have led with that and that could have been our shared review. See, um, I told you when we first started this project, I said, let's make each other known of the other ones. Well, we can not. Well, then- I just assumed you'd watch Palm Springs when I sent it to you. <laughs> I'm a busy man. You are not busy. <laughs> well, there you go, Greyhound. Because uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I sort of feel where, yeah, I didn't mind it. I probably didn't, mi- I probably didn't like it as much as you did, but yeah. it's watchable. Yeah, and it's good to see well, Tom that- Hanks. Everyone likes Tom Hanks, and hey, his wife Elizabeth Shue. Huh? Score. <laughs> Winning. Ali with an eye from Karate Kid. Yeah. And uh, last. so my last one, keeping the John Hughes theme well and truly alive, she's having Jesus. a baby. She's, ha- I said, told you at the top, man, I mean, on a John Hughes tear, she's having a baby. Now, yep. this is super minor Hughes. This is like, I actually had to remind myself it's a John Hughes film. I was like, I reckon I haven't ever seen it all the way through. And <laughs> it's weird, made in 1988. So it's only two yep. years after, like, Ferris, three years after The Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. But it feels like him getting tired of the formula. So all of his other movies had been, like, high school movies, kids in high school, wondering what's next. And you're like, this is actually him kind of growing up as much as his audience. And certain films do it. Like, one of the best examples in modern cinema would be, like, the Harry Potter films. You think about, for kids who saw that at the age of 10... Well, yeah. when they're 20, the series is over and they've yeah. grown up with the character <clears throat> and the same thing yeah. for kids in future when they watch them, the, the films grow up with the characters. Yeah. And and this is a bit like that. His style to get to this point had been about sort of adolescence, whereas this film's about young adulthood. It's like marriage, finishing college, getting jobs, having yeah. kids – and maybe yeah. that's just not as good a sandbox for him to play in. I don't know. Like, he always did reality, like the reality of going to high school so brilliantly um, and, like, so painfully well, like who figuring out who you are and dealing with your insecurities and expectations and the like. But, like, this just feels a bit too real. Like, it feels a bit too this young couple. Probably doesn't help that Kevin Bacon plays the lead. And he's, like, he's fine. It's not that he's a bad actor. Elizabeth McGovern. Um, <laughs> I always think whenever remember you said like Elizabeth McGovern, you'd be like um, sister of Mitch. <laughs> um, sister of Mitch, mother of Jeremy. Um, so she plays his wife, and they have zero chemistry. They have zero zero chemistry. None. It's not good. It's not goodwill. It's not good at all because you're meant to think that these two are like young loving couples starting a family, starting their life. And it's of like, course. I don't think they like each other. I'm sitting there watching the movie going, no, this is their relationship. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe you. <laughs> they should not have a child because they don't like each other. This is going yeah. to end badly. And and that was probably my, my issue with the film is that they're both fine actors, but a film like yeah. this hinges enormously on the chemistry between the leads, and particularly if they're yeah. a couple, and they have none. There's no chemistry. So it's a real issue. Um, I just, I just try. Oh, yeah, it's 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 an interesting film. It's such minor hues. I just the more I thought about it, it was like 
it's him wanting to grow up and tell a more adult story. But at the same yeah. time, you're like, geez, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. It just felt a bit pedestrian. It just felt really like, oh, geez, yeah, this is like, yeah, their relationship's not great. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I, I'm not, def- I'm, I'm not meant to feel like their relationship's going to fail. Like, that's but you, not, you want it to. That, oh, not that I don't want it to, but I'm not meant to feel that it's going to fail, but I can't help but sit there thinking, no, they're fucked. They're done. <laughs> this baby's, and this, that's not the, that's not the story this film's trying to t- sell you either. <laughs> you're not meant to, you're not meant to think that. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't know. He, he, a lot of his classics, those classic films we spoke about, Ferris and the like, they don't have any fat on the bone. Yeah. Like, they're just perfectly streamlined. Like, they're lightning in a bottle. Like, the story is he wrote Ferris Bueller in six days. Um, apparently, he wrote 16 Candles in a weekend. Like, he met Molly Ringwald at a casting and wrote 16 Candles for her in a weekend. And it was just fucking lightning. Oh. It was Thomas Edison. It was like lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Um, Whereas, I don't know, yeah, this one just feels a bit more ponderous. It just lacks that razor-sharp fucking perfection where everything's great. But it does have probably one of my favourite John Hughes lines in it where on his wedding day, um, they're quite young, and on his wedding day, Kevin Bacon's really worried about, you know, are we too young? Are we doing this too early? Is this the wrong decision? Et cetera, et cetera. And he asks Alec Baldwin, who plays his friend, um, he sort of goes, you know, will I be happy, blah, 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 you know, it's just the right decision. And Alec Baldwin takes a drag of the cigarette um, and he says, yeah, you'll be happy, you just won't know it. Yeah. And I thought that's like a perfect line where people perhaps think, yeah, where am I going or is this person right for me or they, they second-guess themselves or my yeah. career or they let all these peripheral things get in the way of how they're really feeling and they worry so much about things that they can't control or shouldn't be worried about and it obscures yeah. that line that, yeah, you'll be happy, you just won't know it because mm. you'll be so caught up and worried with everything else. I thought that was a, like a really cool line um, and it sort of brilliantly sums up sort of his philosophy and his style. Even though it's not in a great movie, it sort of has the heart of his really good movies, even if it's not executed very well. Yes. Um, so she's having a baby uh Spoiler, she has a baby. And, oh, shit. Uh, we're, left, we're left to ponder the very real possibility that uh, their relationship didn't work out as the credits roll. I doubt the movie would go, would, uh, you know, would tell herself she's having a miscarriage. Well, um, that'd be dark. <laughs> really, really dark. The film does tease you that, that things haven't gone well. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit. But it's all good. It's a it's a it's a double bluff. It's a ruse. It has. It's gone fine. So everyone's happy in the end. There's a baby, um, and it has actually the highlight of the film. Weirdly, the film ends with um, her telling telling him it's a boy. We've had a boy, and it kind of what are we going to call him? Blah blah blah. And the film cuts to like all these really big stars. Some of them are normal people. Some of them are really big movie stars that have worked with John Hughes in the past or haven't. Yeah. They're just big stars. <laughs> Um, like jokingly saying to camera, like, what's a good name for a boy? Mm. And it's like a 90-second montage of all these actors or others, like, saying, William, I think William's a good name, or blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's actually, like, quite a cool sort of way to end the movie. But, yeah, like I said, it was an interesting trip down a guy whose style was growing up with his audience, and you kind of think, in retrospect, geez, I don't know. I don't, it wasn't 
just didn't quite land. It just didn't quite work. You were clearly tired of the formula that you'd been working with, and that's absolutely yeah. fair enough. Um, but I'm not sure if this was exactly what anyone wanted or asked for or needed. But it's out there. People it's out there, Will. Like you. It's out there, Will. It's been out there in the for 32 years. So Oof. it's not going away anytime soon. But that was my fourth and final one. Um, what was your pick of the week? That's what we do at the end. Obviously, we each uh, nominate our pick of the week that you should check out. Mm-hmm. Uh, my pick of the week is going to be Juice World. <sighs> Juice World. Rest um, in peace. Rest in peace, the great man, Jared Higgins. Legends um, never die, except when they do. Legends never die unless they overdose on codeine and oxys. Why do they always um, go too far, Will? I don't know, but you can hear that in his songs. He goes, "What? That he's going to hey, overdose hey, on codeine? Yeah, he is goes, that one of the lines from me? I like basically. He goes, I know it's going to kill me. Take it away from me.' Oh fuck, he does. He's yeah. issuing a plea. He was. If only he'd yeah. released the album before he's dead. Nine months too late. <laughs> uh, what was, um, he, what was yeah, his real so name? Jared Higgins. Jared Higgins. Yes. Well, you will be missed. Yes. Not, not uh, Juice World is my me. pick of the week. What's yours? It's a tough call. Um, actually, no. Look, I looked at my choices. It's power, corruption, and lies. Because everything else <laughs> I gave either a lukewarm review to or... She's having a baby, which I didn't really like at all. Uh, so power corruption and lies is the only thing on this list that I was glowingly uh, speaking of um, because it's an absolute masterpiece and it's that new wave electronic kind of the birth of it and arguably hasn't been done better since. It's absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend you listen to it, in particular the tracks Age of Consent, The Village, 586, and Your Silent Face. Boom. Done. Boom. Boom. Um, and where where can you find me, Sean? Did I have another go at this one? Two X's, two I's, <laughs> two N's, <laughs> uh, two, uh, amp- two ampersands. Find, find me at Willie P, W-I-L-L-Y-P-E-E. Excellent. I am Sean Peterbudge, all one word, no silly letters, no no nonsense. <laughs> this is where you can find me. Um, we'll be back to do it all again next week, which will be good. Oh, um, hopefully with four. Let's hope I consume a bit more. We'll try, uh, as was the plan this week, I thought we'd happen across it by accident. We'll try to come across something that we've both watched maybe. Mm. Um, I'm not sure what's meant to be out next week, but if one of us catches a heads up, we'll give the other and go from there. But no, thank you so much for listening. Um, We've brought to you as always by MGA Traffic. Uh, William, (laughs) goodbye. Goodbye, Sean. Goodbye from me. We'll catch you next week. So long, farewell. Bye.